Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at IDB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. And this week we're talking about Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo, which is ranked currently at number 113 on the list of the 250 greatest movies of all time. And joining us again is Chris, who you may remember from the epic two hour and 45 minute discussion of Kurosawa's Seven Samurai. You probably don't remember, so you know, it's good, it's good to come back and remind everybody, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but, if you haven't seen this, go back and listen to it. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a lot yeah, of tight continuity, I think, between the yeah. two episodes. We're, it's unfortunate that we had already done a Kurosawa uh, movie, well, Ran, uh, before we established the Kurosawa 3. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like we can edit edit you back in in post. Yeah, 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 be like Chris's... I'll, uh, I'll, yeah. I'll yeah, we don't need you to come in again. We're yeah. just going to take bits from, <laughs> from, from both. Seven Samurai <laughs> and Yojimbo. Do a yeah, nobody noticed. He'll be just like, uh, he, he says hello at the start of the episode, and then occasionally says yes every once in a while just to remind people that he's there. I, just, I like this film. <laughs> I endorse this perspective. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm going to need you to say that, Chris. <laughs> but no, um, we thought it would be great to have you on because we quite enjoyed talking about Seven Samurai, and we landed very quickly um, on Yojimbo sort of afterwards. It's only been, at this stage, a, a month and a half or so yeah. since we discussed Seven Samurai. That's right, yeah. Um, and, I mean, you talked about how you were a fan of Kurosawa. Andrew's also a big fan of Kurosawa. I quite like Kurosawa. So we thought it would be good to bring the three of us back together to talk about Yojimbo, yeah, which is one of the most influential mm. Kurosawa films. Um, Absolutely. I mean, Andrew, I think when we were talking about Seven Samurai, you cited this as possibly your favourite film. I think it is. And and, and, and I, I feel like some of the kind of uh, uh, critical commentary is that it's lesser uh, Kurosawa. Mm. Um, but it, but the, the, um, for me, for me, it's, it's, it's it, it, like, it, 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 it's just really good. Yeah. So, so I, I, I know that's not really... <laughs> Andrew's uh, um, I, I know And my, this is Andrew's contribution my, for the week. My hot take hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, it's really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. There we go. That's a wrap. Yeah, that's, that's it. I think we, we've done enough for this week. But no. It was actually his most commercially successful in Japan. Yeah. It so was the, indeed. The, the critics weren't... Spawned a sequel. Mm. Yeah, uh, the is. next year, uh, Sanjora, which we may or may not be talking about in this podcast soon. It looks like it's gaining on the list rather dramatically. It's got 23,000 votes. So there's a possibility that sometime in the next year or so it may actually yeah. sneak in. If we can get people to do the kind of uh, vote push that that, that we had on, on Robocop, then who knows? <laughs> okay, we're preserving, we're keeping the next. Okay, fine, we're... we're that is the official statement on the matter. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I wonder if that's... like Because you talked about it being thought about as lesser Kurosawa. And I mean, Chris obviously mentioned it being his most successful in Japan. I can't help but wonder if the two are linked somewhat. Because like, Yojimbo is not generally considered to be like core Kurosawa in the same way that Rashomon is, for example. Mm. Or even in the same way Seven Samurai is that we talked about there, mm. where they're regarded as films that like technically push the, the medium of film and even the narrative storytelling within film fo- you know, sort of forward. Yeah. Whereas Yojimbo, on the other hand, is a much more conventional and straightforward film in some respects, but it's also got this huge pop culture footprint. Mm. Like, I mean, you're talking about this is a film that inspired classics, like obviously A Fistful of Dollars, Last Man Standing, one of the great movies of the 90s. <laughs> it, it was not one of the great movies of the 90s. Jean-Claude Van Damme's movie Dragon Eyes. I think Rutger Hauer. Rutger Hauer, yeah. Yes. He had, had a similar... I haven't seen it, but apparently it comes in... 
there's two um there's two robot armies <laughs> <laughs> uh, are they robot alien armies uh, fighting a war and Rucker Howard is the only man who can say, you know, sort of navigate delicately between them I'm sensing a, a podcast spin-off just purely dealing <laughs> with the uh, Jimbo spin-offs yeah yeah uh, I think so the, the, we would we, have to um I mean it, it it mightn't be us but 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 it will be a licensing agreement <laughs> that uh, will work out yeah um, well, I mean, this is the thing, because, I mean, remarkably, Kurosawa, like, Kurosawa is very, very candid when he talks about this, when he talks about the film, about how he was surprised that there'd never been a film. The story is, here we go, the quote is, the story is so ideally interesting that it's surprising that no one else ever thought about it. And, like, you can see that in, like, how robust it's been, how often you've seen filmmakers coming back to it. Indeed, there's a source of discussion about how much of this idea is Kurosawa's versus how much of it he may have been inspired by Dash Hamnet's, say, Red Harvest, for example. I mean, like, there are, there's disagreements in certain scholars, like certain Kurosawa scholars like David Dressler and film critic Manny Farber argue that Red Harvest would have been a massive influence on this. On the other hand, say, Donald Ritchie and other scholars say that, you know, look, Kurosawa was quite candid about his influence on this and even cited another... Uh, Dash, Ham, Dash Hamlet adaptation uh, as an influence on this. So, like, if he were doing that, he, you know, he wouldn't, mm. he wouldn't have plagiarized, mm. or he wouldn't have sort of, he wouldn't have uh, like ignored the fact that he'd, he'd taken a huge part of Red Harvest for this. Some something else we need to cover on that, uh, um, our, 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 our minions need to cover on on, on that and that particular <laughs> podcast is Miller's Crossing as well. Yeah, Miller's Crossing. Well, Miller's Crossing is, I think, directly like I think yeah. the Coen brothers have been quite kind that they were borrowing from Red Harvest, sort of in that yeah, sense, rather than from Yojimbo. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there is, there's a, a lot there, and there's a lot of it, and it's such, it is such a like archetypal story it's a story without getting too specific about a drifter who wanders into town and plays two gangs off one another expertly and then wanders out of town at the end of it without getting too spoilery or too sort of yeah. specific it's really timeless and it, it's really resonant and you can do a lot of things with that template and i think as history's shown you can you know you can do gangsters in prohibition era as you did in last man standing you can do gangs in the old west as you yeah. did in a fistful of dogs you can do aliens versus cyborgs as i mean you know the great <laughs> rucker hauer movie did well, and that's it. i mean you so, like it's it's uh, almost conventional like kurosawa sense so therefore the influence can be broad fast yeah. whoever wins we lose <laughs> <laughs> except for the main character um, but yeah there's a there's a lot of that there and i so mean it's the alien versus predator type yeah. oh, that which good. that's a really great selling point you really want the audience to sit down watching your movie thinking no matter what happens on screen yeah. I am going to Redoomed. lose as a film yeah. goes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to suffer as a response, you know, in response to this. But one of the things that's interesting about Yojimbo is, and we talked about this when we talked about Seven Samurai, because Kurosawa has this weird circular relationship with the Western, where you have Kurosawa on the one hand influenced by Western filmmakers like John Ford, and then feeding back into like informing later generations of Western filmmakers. Sergio Leone. Yeah, and, Peckinpah yeah, yeah. And, and all yeah. these sort of other like people of that generation. They're all kind of cross-pollinating. Yeah, yeah. which is fascinating. Absolutely. 
I mean, Yojimbo, I think, is candidly, in terms of like, uh, in terms of him acknowledging his influences, the most Western movie that he's made. And we talked in like Seven Samurai is very Western in terms of how it's framed, in terms of its music and composition. But in the, the way the way the sets are done in this though is very familiar to yeah. to anyone who's seen like the the the, the likes of High Noon or, or I suppose more recently like parts of Django Unchained. Where the, the, the we covered that last week we, on the podcast in exactly. case Chris is wondering why that's going to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where 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 there's the kind of the wide um, streets where yeah. there's like the, the And the stranger the, wanders the, through it's, and it's like any townsville, you know. It's, yeah. it's a very kind of uh, standard archetypal sort of quality. Wall and I mean, town. And there are there are wonderful shots that could have been lifted from the western. Like I mean, we're talking even about the shot where the the samurai wanders into frame and the dust is blowing yeah. behind him. Or you're talking about like moments. There are quick draw moments with samurai swords here that could have been taken literally from a western, where like you have guys fumbling to draw <laughs> their sword while he's like bang, bang, bang. Except I suppose it's more slash, slash, slash. Um, and even stuff like the bits where he's like demonstrating how fly he is with the sword by like shooting really or slashing really small objects, where it's like, look, I cut the clothes off instead of cutting the man much like Clint Eastwood would be like I shot the man's hat off instead of shooting the man mm. and there's a lot of that western sort of vibe through it that feels very conscious and feels mm. very sort of uh, like like Kurosawa's playing almost with these with these tropes and sort of like embracing the western because I think we'll probably talk about this a bit more in the spoiler zone because one of the readings of Yojimbo is that it is consciously about the westernization of Japan in many respects, not just culturally, but also like economically and, and even socially as well. And you can sort of see that in terms of this as a film, because you're, you're kind of wondering, you know, is this, is Kurosawa playing with the idea of like the westernizing of Japanese cinema by making a Japanese Western? Yeah. And it, it's not, it, it's not that uh, westernization is something that, that that's just kind of a bare fact. It's also like a, a kind of like a poisoning of 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 mm. Japanese society, like a a a um, a, a, a corruption of it. They, mm. I, I, I was I was reading sneakily reading while 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 watching the movie that um, that he he had done a version of Hamlet. Um, yeah. Just, just, just before making the this. sleep is it the big bad sleep or something like that? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah, where, where, where that wasn't really re- re- received. There, um, I was reading the kind of um, um, Philip Kemp kind of uh, liner notes on this, where, where, where he was talking about how he wanted to make a story about the kind of how Japanese society was was changing and had. Tried to tell that through through the bad the, sleep well apologies oh. the bad sleep well, and it wasn't really received um, as well as he would have liked. Mm. So he 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 um, he figured he'd he'd come at it from another angle, I guess in a format that he was already popular with. Well, I mean that that's generally how it's how it's been, and it's not just like in terms of Kurosawa and Japanese cinema, it's in in terms of like American cinema, in terms of pop culture in general, you generally have a better chance of making an impression culturally if you go with what are deemed you know lower art forms or what are accepted art forms yeah so that, or even what you're recognized for initially yeah. you know the audience comes to the, the film understanding what kurosawa film is allows that message to then be distilled a bit more easily yeah, yeah. And, i mean we were talking about django last week for example which is a you know it's a film about slavery but it's couched in the language of a western which mm-hmm. is an audience that like a film you know film language that people understand and you can make 
400 million dollars worldwide making a movie about slavery if you package it in the language of a western it's not even subtly about slavery no no, no. <laughs> yeah yeah the, um, like your jimbo is much more subtle in it's sort of this is about the westernization yeah, of japan yeah. i think then and uh, it's it's the power as well of comic books that i like I've, I've never been a, re- a big comic book buff uh, but i believe you are um Darren. reasonably yeah well <laughs> i've seen your library full of your books <laughs> thank you andrew <laughs> picture books <laughs> it's, it's, it's what you can read into the silence that andrew uh, it's, it's a very impressive library um the, but yeah where where it's like a more accessible telling of these kind of um tales and where you're saying something about society yeah, and doing it through a vehicle. I mean, like you could have, for example, you want to talk comic books, you can have Captain America punching Hitler out, uh, like a year before America enters the Second World War, written by two Jewish comic book creators who were like, America should probably enter this war involving genocide in Europe. Yeah. You can do that sort of stuff. You can have Superman wrestling with slumlords as he did in his first appearances. Um, and now obviously, like as as the industry and, and as the market and the mediums become more sort of commercialized and corporatized, you sort of you tone down on that and you become a lot safer. Yeah. But you can do this in pop culture in a way that people find accessible. So, yeah. It's the same with science fiction. It's yeah. like it kind of takes it one derivative away from real life for yeah. people and to be able to um, understand those ideas a bit more clearly. Have that sort of abstract sort of element yeah. to it. We, we talk a lot about Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. <laughs> on this podcast, um, which is another <laughs> reference to Hamlet. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and at one point Chekhov even says, uh, look who's coming to dinner. <laughs> Where the movie is about space racism. Yeah, just yeah. in case you don't get it. Yeah. Um, again, it's not exactly subtle, but still. But let's, before we jump into the spoiler zone, before we sort of talk about it in a bit more depth, like, you guys, obviously Andrew had seen Yojimbo before, I hope before marking it as his favourite Kurosawa film. Otherwise, it was I a hell of a guess. I wanted to re-see it. And I didn't realise it would be coming up. Um, but yeah, I wanted to re-see it to see, um, is, is it still my my, my, my favourite? And how do you feel? And, and unfortunately, I gave that away before. <laughs> before you <laughs> asked the question. Yeah, rather, rather than kind of like, um, yeah, leave, leaving it as a cliffhanger. Yeah. So yeah. dangling. And what I mean, it's, good, it's good yeah. to be up front. What about yourself, Chris? Have you seen it before? I had. I had. Uh, many years ago though so it was good to get reacquainted with it and, and then linking it so closely to seven samurai chat we had a few weeks ago as well it was, it was kind of good to kind of see them in quite close succession and kind of understand the links because they are in some ways feel like they're very much in conversation in a way because they feel like kurosawa is sort of doing something here that is largely perhaps defined or shaped in response to kind of what he was doing in Seven Samurai. Because Seven Samurai mm. is this big epic, and we talked about how it is deconstructive and it is sort of, it does pick at the idea of like honor and duty and samurai stuff, but it's yeah. this big four hour epic. Mm. Whereas Yojimbo is is like a lot grittier and a lot dirtier and a lot rawer. It's a lot more violent. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like something that if you're watching it, in the context of having watched Seven Samurai, it does feel like Kurosawa is like sharpening the blade, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it feels like almost like a kind of quite tight, kind of like straightforward plot. Um, whereas Seven Samurai, like I say, is a big sprawling epic, quite mm-hmm. complex. Which, like comparing the two, you'd be surprised that you know Seven Samurai transferred so easily into the Magnificent Seven mm-hmm. as a Western. 
It had already by this point as well, actually, which is, is kind of interesting if we're talking in terms of like the West Gurusawa and like the westernization of American culture. Like by the time he was making this movie, it had already been remade over the, in the States. Yul Bremner um and Steve McQueen version. Yeah. yeah, yeah which yeah. is which is impressive as well. And obviously this this would be remade as well by Sergio Leone, uh, which yeah. is fascinating. It would lead to a lawsuit where um ultimately apparently Leone had uh, agreed with the company making it that they would pay the money to Kurosawa. The company that was making it was too stingy to actually arrange to pay the money to Kurosawa. So Kurosawa ended up seeing it on release and going, this is a very fine movie, but it's also my movie. Um, And a lawsuit that would lead to him getting 15% of the profits uh, from A Fistful of Dollars, which is remarkable because apparently by that measure, he may have made more off A Fistful of Dollars than he did off Yojimba. Oh, Which is remarkable. Yeah. Ah, he's playing the currencies. Yeah. <laughs> Against one another. Um, the markets were very, very <laughs> delicate at that stage. Funnily enough, A Fistful of Dollars has just had its 4K restoration release as well. It has on. indeed. It's, it's. I believe there's... Uh, by the time that this podcast comes out, unfortunately, you may have missed. Oh. But the uh, the Sorry, IFI... Folks. Yeah, the IFI are doing a screening of all three of the Dollars trilogy, I believe, as well. Which is remarkable and very worth seeing as well. On that note, actually, is it worth asking... Which version of Yojimbo do you prefer? And feel free to say Last Man Standing. There is, <laughs> there is no judgment here. Um, no friends here. But if you had to say, to pick an example, from A Fistful of Dollars or this, which which one edges it for you? I don't know. I did, I did uh, obviously, being a Western chap, I, I came to this via the Clint Eastwood classic. So that would always have a special place in my heart. But then learning about, about Kurosawa, Japanese cinema, Yojimbo, and, and the influences that had, I've developed a, a real appreciation for that. But I think the heart's got to go for a fistful of dollars, really. Mm. But it's, it's, it's a close call. It's a close yeah. call. They're both fantastic films. So I realised that was a terrible question to ask. That was a really <laughs> mean. It's like, it's like, choose your favourite. It's like... I think Sophie's choice. I yeah. think one 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 thing that maybe shades it for me for Yojimbo would be my kind of affection for um, Japan. Mm. I, I I love seeing Japan uh, in cinema, and even 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 though this is a a um, kind of Western inspired uh, Japan, it's it's still like I I I just enjoy the whole kind of. Um, all, all, all of those kind of elements of like Bushido and sake and uh, like the things that are kind of familiar to us and, and you, you, you even have the the, 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 the the kind of geisha in in, yeah. in the movie and um, I, I know I know that it, it, it sounds maybe a bit like exoticizing or yeah, it's honestly kind of like I like the aesthetic you know yeah, yeah. As uh, yeah, as 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 much as that's kind of like uh, from 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 someone who doesn't have a great appreciation of 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 of, of what those things mean. But you've like you've lived in Japan and stuff like, and this is I remember we were talking about. I can't remember if it was this we were talking about, or sorry, if it was Seven Samurai we were talking about. I think or it was your it was, name. It was your name we were talking about, where you very cannily avoided the fact that you were the only person in the podcast who actually lived in Japan. <laughs> Um, throughout the podcast, which was a little awkward for the rest of us, talking about our understanding of Japanese culture. Yeah. It was only for a few weeks, but it, it, it was incredible. Still more like, than I, 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 yeah, yeah. I'd, um, but I like um, I forget what it was recently where I was thinking, "Gosh, I'd love to go to, uh, back to Japan." Do you know uh, what it was? Was um, sometimes I fall into a hole 
of watching um, people eat <laughs> on, oh, on YouTube, on YouTube. <laughs> and, and there is there is there is a uh, there is an episode where where there is a guy in the uh, Skiji Market. Um, which is like a, 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 a fish market in Tokyo. And I was thinking, gosh, I'd love to go back there. Because I was at the fish market, but I never got to see any of the kind of like behind the scenes stuff. It's an and incredible did you get to see country. people eating there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like the important part. Like after, after watching um, somebody um, make, make, make a pizza with a mac and cheese base. <laughs> and, um, um, yeah, as if, as, if, as if my own eating habits aren't bad enough, I have to get like a vicarious thrill out of watching other people. Yeah, um, but yeah, no. So I think I think it's perfectly justifiable for you to say that. Yeah, you have an aesthetic attachment to yeah. that. Like, I think I don't think that's unfair. I think like I mean, go back to what I was like. The Western was is kind of you raised on that as a kid. It's always on daytime television growing up and stuff like that. Mm. But I think kind of knowing the Clint Eastwood classic and then seeing a Jimbo years later yeah i think like the same sort of thing that was kind of a good introduction to me to like japanese culture and the interest in that because mm. Ujimbo is such a familiar story yeah you you invest in it very quickly and you understand what's going on and then you learn further about the you know the the, the, the culture underscoring it yeah. the context both in terms of its setting and and in terms of its release which yeah. we'll, we'll talk about a bit more in the spoiler zone because there's a lot of stuff around those which is is interesting as well and I mean, I suspect this isn't going to be a particularly radical or tough question for anybody at this podcast. Do you think that this movie belongs to be on the 250 greatest movies of all time? I reply in the affirmative. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I would go as well. I would marginally prefer, like like Chris, I would probably have a soft spot for a Fistful of Dollars. And I'm willing to concede that's probably because I saw it at an earlier age and have a nostalgic attachment yeah, to it. Same. And I mean, again, more to, to Clint than to, uh, to Shiro Mifune. Um, I, I feel like I have a sort of a, you know, he's, he's an archetype to me. Um, so seeing him in action means a lot. Interestingly enough, uh, Fistful of Dollars isn't actually on the list. Uh, a few dollars more, I believe, comes in and out on occasion. And obviously, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is in the top ten. But A Fistful of Dollars doesn't actually make the list. So Yojimbo is, I believe... incredible. It yeah. is, yeah. yeah. surprised. But Yojimbo's on there, which is great to see. And I'm actually really glad to see it on there, because it mm. is a massively influential film. Mm. And even if it's not regarded as Pete Kurosawa, and like a lot of Pete Kurosawa is on the list. So obviously, uh, Rashomon's on there. We've talked about Seven Samurai. Ran is on there. Like, um, you know, so. I like the idea of um, uh, Hank from Gran Torino and Toshiro Mufune, another Asian <laughs> moves in next door. And- they learn to appreciate each other yeah. um, through their various interactions. Of, yeah. I would actually love to see like a I Japanese remake point. of because you know they did a Japanese. I think we mentioned this in, on Seven Samurai. The Japanese remake of Unforgiven um, oh, with um, what's what's his name? Um, the actor from Oh yes, Ken Watanabe. Ken Watanabe, yeah. Um, and it's it's really good. I would kind of love to see a Japanese yeah. version of like um, of Gran Torino. That yeah. It would be something to behold. I can't imagine you could translate it, but I would just love to see a version of that that was Ken Watanabe drinking on his porch, yeah. feeling yeah. really angry at it's the world. American army brats move <laughs> in next door. door. Yeah. Being a bit racist. And he's got, he's got to figure out how to appreciate and understand yeah. their culture. Um, but yeah, so with that in mind, then we will segue. Ne- well, first of all, and I assume, again, this is an easy question for the round. Um, would you recommend that people watch it if they haven't seen it already? Although they probably have seen it already in... Um, it's a myriad of different forms. Yeah, I mean, if you've seen it before, watch it again. If you haven't, watch it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 um, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I probably enjoyed it most the first time I saw it. But yeah, the, 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 this, I kind of forgot the, 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 the incredible moments, oh. I think, in, 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 in this movie that I vaguely, um, but, but that were like slowly washing away from my memory. I was like, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, that, that's a wonderful feeling when you, You've forgotten it enough that you don't know quite that it's coming. Yeah. But that yeah. when it appears, it sort of hits that perfect sweet spot. And you're yeah. like, you get to almost vicariously relive seeing it for the first yeah. time. Yeah. Which is, is remarkable. Um, and you have that sort of, and the fact that it's g- your general warmth towards that moment, even though you don't consciously remember it, inspires your sort of positivity towards the film. Yeah, it's, it's a great... Absolutely. Perfect storm. I would also recommend watching it if you haven't seen it already. It is only two hours long, so it's that's less of an ask than asking you to go and watch Seven Samurai. Um, and it is it is accessible. It flies by. It's yeah. it's great fun. It's very clever. It is, as you pointed out, very accessible, and not just in terms of its story, which people will have seen before, but also in terms of it, its storytelling, like the cinematography. Yeah. So this was the second film that he made with the cinematographer Kazawa Mayagawa, which was the first one being Rashomon. Um, and I, he's been described as a very Western influence cinematographer. So the film has a very has in some ways a sort of a Western look to it, a Western feel to it. Mm. Um, and even the soundtrack has a sort of a Western vibe to it as well. I don't mean Western in terms of cowboys, just in terms of like a, a recognizable sort of yeah. accessible soundtrack to audiences who maybe wouldn't watch a lot of Japanese films. So this is actually a great film to I think dip your toes into sort of Japanese cinema, in particular classic Japanese. This cinema. is their kind of reunion as well, because I, th- I think they they were they were they were separated. Um, uh, they're working in, in on different studios. They're working for rival gangs, basically, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a divided film industry. Um, and yeah, then so the Toshiro Mifune really about their own relationship. Yeah, yeah. Toshiro Mifune yeah. arrives and brings them both together. Um, it's really very beautiful in its own way. Mifune is Leone, right? <laughs> in this context. <laughs> but anyway, with that in mind, then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Chris. What is Yojimbo about for you? Yojimbo is a um, a down and out samurai type character played by Toshiro Mifune, um, who wanders into a uh, um, like standard Japanese town, uh, which is overrun with two rival gangs who are fighting each other, and then he then proceeds to play them off each other until such a time he decides to intervene and uh, clean up this downtown absolutely yeah what one should make a slight note though i mean like this is a kurosawa film so there's a, a slight cynicism that sort of runs yeah. through the film like there's a sense when he cleans up this town it means there are like three people left living in it at the <laughs> yeah. end like it, it's not this town is now peaceful that's, yeah that's, that, a good line. that's it exactly they all deserve to die i think is another line uh from yeah. Um, the the nameless samurai at the center of the story. Yeah, he's warned. This this uh, this is a terrible town full of despicable people, and he's like, I think I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing that I do here will seem awful or inhumane yeah. because I'm doing it to terrible people. No, sorry, <laughs> and and it's 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 one of Kurosawa's uh, few kind of um, comedies. 
Yeah. Um, oh, it is. And, and, but it's a very Kurosawa comedy. <laughs> I like that. You, you, the Kurosawa comedy makes it sound like a particular high, brand of hijinks. Yeah. To be clear. Because it's so misanthropic. It, if it, yeah. like, it, One of the great early laughs of the film involves a dog wandering <laughs> idly down a main street with a dismembered hand in its jaw. Yeah. With different and music. And it's hilarious. <laughs> and, with, and with a less delightful dog. Yeah. <laughs> that the might have been a, a different scene. Would have been a really grim <laughs> moment. And any other filmmaker's sort of body uh, of work that would be a this town is horrible but yeah. in, in Kurosawa's work this is like okay you can enjoy what happens to yeah. these people it wasn't like Hannibal Lecter uh, <laughs> feeding that guy's face to a dog uh, yeah. <laughs> um, they could have changed the music on that and... just made it a little jauntier yeah well, there, there's, a, there's a lot there's of there's a very jaunty uh, soundtrack to this movie I, I really did enjoy the the, the, the the soundtrack I believe Kurosawa said that he wanted a voodoo style um, soundtrack to this voodoo child um, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, Ma- <laughs> Masuro Sato's uh, he Western. said voodoo child <laughs> and they misunderstood yeah. uh, well to be fair when he, when he wrote Jimmy it Hendrix. down they're like yeah. what's a voodoo chili <laughs> um, I don't understand I don't get it I, I know what a voodoo child is why does he want a voodoo chili it's all but, in my mind but he, he wanted um, apparently he wanted a voodoo style soundtrack is how he describes it and it's weird because I, I don't really think of anything particularly voodoo about it that didn't strike me. But yeah, like, but it, it is western. It does, yeah. and it and it is jaunty, and it is playful. Like there's, there's, there's <laughs> a, I'm, it was kind of like I want a voodoo style setter. Got it. But like a western, okay. <laughs> but a Japanese western voodoo style yeah. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that's a comedy. Because <laughs> um. there is, like, I mean, and this is the thing. It is one of the most violent um, of sort of samurai films, and particularly of Kurosawa's films. And and like, there's a lot more violence and dismemberment in this film than there are well, was in say seven samurai mm. there's a point where he chops a guy's arm off at the shoulder and you see the arm land on the yeah. ground holding a sword and then cut to the guy going my arm's been chopped off <laughs> which would be horrible except in kurosawa's world that's like prop comedy pretty yeah. much yeah um, and then and then and the 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 funniest thing about that is that he might bleed out and die yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah there's, 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 it's one of the best lines of the whole film yeah. Two coffins, maybe three. <laughs> yeah. Two pauses, looks back to see if the guy bleeding out of his arm has fallen over yet. It's like because that's like we're talking about the movie like being copied almost shot for shot for for mm. Fistful of Dollars. Uh, Fistful of Dollars actually does a much gentler version of that joke, where Eastwood is like, "Make two coffins," and then better, and then he kills three guys like. Better make it three. <laughs> Whereas in the world of like Kurosawa, it's like it's not like oh he accidentally killed one too many. It's like he's indifferent to whether or not one of the guys he killed bleeds out. Um, but there is there is this element of like really dark humor that runs through it, which the, is remarkable. It's the, yeah. the nice thing as well is the the guard who he meets, kind of like uh, <laughs> the like the pitiful kind of sniveling guard. Says kind of like, oh, you you should you should kill three of them, chop their arm off, and it's like I will, but not because you told me to do it, and like not right now, because then it will seem like I'm doing it because you told me to. Yeah, it's really really great, and I there's but he's taken it on board. He has. Yeah, he's taken yeah, the suggestion yeah. on board. He's made a note. Yeah, there's you know, it's it's a contributive process. Yeah. Uh, like there is a real sense that like there's this sort of 
push and pull. And it's interesting when you read sort of critical takes of, of like of the film and particularly in reaction to the nameless central character who adopts the name literally by looking out the window. And I wonder if this is like the sort of the 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 moment that inspires all those other jokes about characters who name themselves by looking yeah. at whatever objects are near. They do like have... my my name is laptop chicken wing sauce. <laughs> um, that sort of thing to give an example yeah, from what is currently they, sitting in front they do, of me. They do a version of that in, I think it's like Family Guy where he looks out and it's like, pee, tear. <laughs> and a griffin <laughs> flies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But th- there is a, a there, I wonder if that was one of the first examples of that joke because it's, yeah. it's, literally, it's literally like, uh, what's your name? And he looks out the window and he's like, 30 year old, <laughs> Mayberry Grove. <laughs> Do you just say that because you saw some Mayberry trees growing out there? Just shows the character's lacking in imagination in a painful way. <laughs> yeah. Well, he does. Uh, he came back for a sequel, which was released a year later, which was also called Sanjoro, which means 30-year-old. So surely... He's still claiming to be 30. Yeah. Those were his best years. <laughs> yeah. um, to Always be... running down. Yeah, yeah. You got, that's it. You know, Nice yeah. round number. Sanjuro Uno or whatever. I, I don't know the <laughs> Japanese for one, so I, I won't push that. But there, there is this sort of weird sense that the the samurai the central nameless samurai character really loves just inflicting Mm -hmm. suffering like that he is there's this back and forth and you could see it in like a lot of contemporary or a lot of like discussions of the film when it came out which is like just how much of a nihilist is sanjuro like is he just playing these two sides against each other because he's bored Mm -hmm. or is there some basic decency to him because there is i think some suggestion in the film that he does have, like, a human core underneath all this cynicism, even though he consists of, like, his idea of bringing peace to a town is killing all but three people (laughs) and putting the coffin maker out of business. Yeah. um, Which is a remarkable act of spite. The coffin maker is like, hey, Samurai's coming to town. This is going to be great for business. He's like, actually, there are so many dead people that my job is now redundant. (laughs) Thank you, Sanjoro. But yeah, because he does, he he saves the family. He yeah. reunites the family at the center of the story. That's what gets him into trouble. If it, pe- people complain, I think that the second act kind of is, is slows down a bit. I think it's important to have that uh, beat where where Sanjuro has run into difficulties and he's at his kind of weakest. Lowest end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, you do lead to the, the wonderful climax where he watches... The two, the two rival gangs tear themselves apart yeah. from inside a barrel. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing about Sanjuro is that he doesn't just enjoy inflicting pain. <laughs> he enjoys observing uh, people's follies, you know, and, 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 and people just being cruel to each other. Yeah. Um, he basically, you know, engineers uh, basically each of the big battles himself. Yeah. yeah. Just and, for his own amusement. And he literally sits down and watches at one point. There's a great moment and it's a really wonderful shot from... It's like uh, in an umpire. Yeah, from Kurosawa, <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. the two gangs are fighting on the main street and, and obviously Sanjoro's sitting up on a high chair in prime position. Like, if this movie were made today, he would be eating popcorn yeah. uh, while watching the two gangs charge at each other up and down the street. Um, but there is this this sort of... But at the same time, as much as he is cynical and, like, nihilistic and, like, burn civilization to the ground, mm-hmm. he does reunite the family. And even at the end... He grabs the farmer's son, which gives the film sort of a nice bookend, uh, yeah. which and, yeah. and I mean plays into I think some of the themes that that sort of Kurosawa is getting at, where the the farmer's son who's like I want to go to town, I want to be a gambler, 
Uh, I wish I was a baller. I wish I was a little bit taller. Um, and, and, you know, like the, the samurai Sanjuro is like a, he's a witness to this scene. And then later on, he, he grabs the kid and he gives him this little speech about how you should go home and be happy to eat mush for the rest of your boring life. Uh, but it, like that's an act of compassion. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting to sort of contextualize that in terms of like his behavior over the rest of the film. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's the, um, uh, but, but it, it, it's, it's kind of, it, it's kind of Kurosawa saying, look at the, uh, look at the state our society is in, but not asking, um, I, I feel like it's not asking us to kind of save ourselves from this madness. It's saying, and we're doomed, <laughs> like they, 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 because the the whole thing about um, I, I I think I think we we mentioned a lot in the Seven Samurai about the kind of um, strata of of society and the kind of like the way people look upon supposedly kind of noble professions like farmers had nobody nobody wants to be a farmer anymore because why 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 make something uh, or why grow something when you can make something? Why make something when you can sell something? Yeah. Why, why sell something when you can just gamble? Um, and, and when money's coming and going and flowing so yeah. freely. I mean, there's a... Or why earn money when you can steal or... Yeah, or graft or all this sort of stuff. I mean, because like, you, you talked about it when you talked about the, the Big Sleepwell, which is the, the Hamlet version that he made the previous year, which didn't open to great reviews or great audience response. Like, Kurosawa, and I mean, he talked about this when he did The Seven Samurai as well. Kurosawa was like, all my films are about contemporary Japan. Mm. And you can argue that, like, one of the things about, and this is a, this is a quote or sort of a discussion from Joaquin de Silva, who, who's, you know, articles on Kurosawa I will include in the show notes. But he makes the point that, like, this, or, or you know, Yojimbo could be read in some ways as a commentary on, like, the post-war development of Japan, where, like, you have this migration from the countryside, where, again, the farmers, um, yeah. who were producing food and grain and, like, you know, the, the yeah. cornerstone of the economy... By 1955, apparently there was a great deal of labor flowing from those farms into the big cities. By 1960, uh, which is around the time the film was released, cities contained 64% of all Japanese people. Um, the farming community no longer played as important a role in the economy as it had in 1945. It contributed 9% to the growth national project, uh, pro- uh, product in 1960 and 5% by 1970 and later 2.5% in 1980. Uh, the farming population collapsed. They comprised only 27% in 1960, but only 9% by 1980. And so there's a sense that, like, within watching the early opening scenes of Yojimbo, where a farmer is like, I want to go to town. Mm-hmm. A young farmer, a farmer who's going to presumably inherit the farm from his father, is like, I, I don't want to be a farmer. I want to be a gambler. I want to be like a, I want to make money. Yeah. And heading into yeah. town, there's a sense that Kurosawa is sort of playing with that yeah. idea. He has a kind of a line that feels like it's taken from the Seven Samurai, where it's like, I want an exciting life. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want to eat mush for the rest yeah, of my yeah. life and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's like what um, uh, Toshiro Mifune's character in, in Seven Samurai is like. It's like, I'm an exciting kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I like, yeah, that's totally me. I like it. I adventure. I have adventures and stuff like that. But I mean, Kurosawa has talked about how... And I mean, you can see a lot of the, there's a lot of anti-capitalist sentiment in here as well. And a lot of that is associated with, say, the American intervention in, in Japanese and the way, in Japan, and the way they sort of shape Japanese culture after the Second World War. And Kurosawa, like in, in, in this case, for example, it's been argued that as much as the film is a Western, 
um, it is also a gangster film. Like, it's not a Western with a sheriff or with the, you know, with the land prospectors or something like that. Mm. It's a story about two rival gangs. Yeah. And yeah. again, the, the film even makes the point when Sanjoro comes to town about how what's fueling these gangs are the silk merchant and the sake merchant. Yeah. It's the money that drives it. And there's yeah. all these references to pieces of gold. And there's, you know, there's is all it, this... Is it the sake uh, merchant owns the brewery? Yeah. Um, he's uh, Takashi Shimura, isn't he? He's almost unrecognizable because of the way he's kind of like um, gurning and kind of um, um, mugging throughout. But um, it's, uh, it's again... Uh, Reuniting um, Toshiro Mifune with uh, to Takashi Shimura from um, the Seven Samurai. It's also the the um, what's his name? In, um, I believe it's Inokichi. Oh, the, um, the brother of the yeah uh, yeah. So he he's uh, Daisuke Kato, who's also in yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Seven Samurai. It's quite a, it's quite a, I, lo- I love him in this because he's. It's, it's, it's almost like a complete grotesque clown. Absolutely. Of this, oh. this like, villain, almost opposite of what he was in Seven Samurai. There's a lot of lot of that in here. Like, I yeah. mean, I remember when, when he first appeared, when, um, is it, uh, you know, how do you pronounce it? Inokichi? I think it's Ino- um, it's it's either Inokichi or Ikonichi. I'm spoonerizing it in one way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when he shows up, I was actually really happy that this was a film made by a Japanese director in Japan because there's a lot of exaggeration, a lot of grotesquerie, and a lot of like what would seem if it was a west if it was a Western film would seem like a horrible racial caricature in terms of like with his with his teeth out. Yeah, Darren walked out. I was like, no, (laughs) Darren, it's okay. This is made by a Japanese filmmaker. Um, But there's a lot of that in there. And it's kind of interesting in in some ways because we look at this as a film that informed a lot of Westerns. But there's also a lot of like Ian Fleming style like physical deformities equated with actual yeah, like, like monstrosity. Like, Jaws. Yeah. like yeah, yeah, there there is a yeah. there is a henchman who looks a lot like Jaws. There is like one almost the same almost kind of Roger Moore double take this <coughs> season for the first time. It's like yeah. oh, oh you're big. Yeah. There's also even like even like without getting you know, while we're talking about physical deformities, there's a guy with sideburns, and that's primarily <laughs> his thing. Although he also represents like the westernized youth, because he's the one guy who's left Japan and come back with a handgun. Mm. But he has these Both like Chris s- and I have have at one point or another have <laughs> had prominent sideburns. Ah, so am I. I yeah. know. I'm, yeah. I'm joking when I refer to sideburns as a physical deformity. I apologize. It's not funny, it's insensitive. I apologize. <laughs> to all of our sideburn brothers. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's... I, I do love, though, that like that's his dis- you know, sort of his mark of yeah. like physical distinction from other characters. Is Oh, this guy has been outside of Japan and therefore has sideburns. <laughs> He looks like I don't know David Soul, for example. But, you know, it's <laughs> like there's someone to be respected. All, yeah. all of their tattoos as well, and even one of the one of I think it's um, uh, who's is it Machi or um, one of one one of the two who who've been sent to the other village to kill somebody. Oh, to kill the guard. In, oh, in, yeah. in 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 order in order that the inspector but, leaves town. Um, has this big dog tattoo on his, on back. his back, which 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 is like the. Re- re- repeated kind of reference to dogs and you're like um 
there's yeah, there's a really heavy dog influence. Obviously, the dog walking off with the um with the with the hand in its mouth. But I mean, literally, the opening shot of Sanjuro is him scratching his hair yeah. behind his ear, Just, almost like it. Which again, we we talked about how in in Seven Samurai, he's kind he's, of reprising that. He's kind of reprising that sort of physicality, yeah. this animalistic yeah. quality. Except it's, it's referred to as as, as a dog. Numerous yeah. times by the... Right? And I mean, even metaphorically, yeah, the smell attracts hungry dogs and stuff like that. And, and, you know, you kind of... The idea of a dog being drawn to death. I did find it really insulting when the guy who owned the bar was like, you'll need more than nine lives to do this. And I'm like, dude, did you not get the memo? The metaphor that we're pushing is dogs. <laughs> do not cross the streams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now now I'm wondering, is he like a cat? Is he a cat <laughs> in a world of dogs? Well, you know, the speeders who climbed that bell tower every time, you know, is the yeah, feline. I'm just reflexes. pouncing there. And I mean, he is a, he does seem like a sociopath. So I'm <laughs> saying that is quite feeling. So maybe that's what the movie's hinting at. Is that He's difficult every- to find. <laughs> like, He's like unreliable, yeah. He Where shows up only... He has no loyalty. Yeah, 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 only when he wants to be fed. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel... That's the problem. That's the big issue with Yojimbo. Everybody thinks Sanjuro's a dog. It turns out he's actually a cat. He's a cat dog. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. But there, there is this sort of, yeah. And I mean, even um, even the brother is referred to as a, like a wild boar as well. So there's a sort of like animalistic theme running through it, which kind of, I think, plays into Kurosawa's yeah. like dim view of humanity, where these people are basically like animals in some respects. Yeah. Like you get it's a like bunch the of the pe- worst parts of animals are farting work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like animal farm, except with people, um, like, which is basically society. Um, but yeah, there's a sense that like Kurosawa is like, I like animal farm. I feel like it would work a lot better if I just use people. Yeah. Um, and this it is more sorts. Yeah. yeah. So can we make the gangster look a little bit like a boar? Yeah. That, that could work or something. Um, I love, 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 the, I and I I remembered it, but I didn't remember it fully. The scene, the scene where where he takes is it I, Ikonichi, uh, the 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 character played by Daisuke Kato. He t- he he t- he he takes him and he says, "How many? How many? How many do you have guarding?" Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and the, the woman. Yeah, and um, he says six, and I was like, "Oh, I don't think that's enough." Bring, you bring really need along. seven. Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> Um. And it, it's um, he he said he says to him, "Oh God, all all of the guards have been killed. Run, get your brother." He runs off, and then he proceeds to murder the say, six guards, which is incredible it's a confidence. Great scene. Yeah, it's yeah. A, and it, it's, but to be fair, if he didn't murder the six guards, it probably wouldn't count. It would have just been like he's not going to like if he didn't kill the six guards, yeah. it'd just be really awkward when he came back. But he, <laughs> he wouldn't be around to complain. I love that bit later on as well. He was. This must have been at least 15 people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm amazing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't want to brag. Um, it's also just really, really well shot. Like the action yeah. in this, is, it comes in short bursts. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of the film is, is very interested in plot and manipulation. It's very, you know, as we pointed out, it's a very black comedy. And a lot of the, the violence is sort of like in the tension leading up to it. But the actual action sequences are great as well. Because that sequence where he comes in and brutally murders six other samurai before they can draw their weapons is just remarkably well choreographed. Yeah. I think, sorry. sorry. No, I, think, I think the incredible thing about a lot of the, the action sequences in this is the kind of, is the way that it's, it's, it's a sort of a flurry where the, the, the kind of like personality and humanity of, of, of everyone is kind of taken out and they like, are just like quickly just like, um, 
becoming dead bodies. Like they were a person and now they're not. Mm. And it's the kind of like indifference to their character. Yeah. Where where like in the in in in, in the final scene, there is there is the 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 remainder of the uh, the town and all of the henchmen, including like the 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 big um, Jaws character um, and, and sideburns. Yeah, don't forget yeah, sideburns. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're, they're all, um, with 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 the exception of I think it's um, yeah it's 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 with the exception of Anosuke that they all of these important characters are are killed in the same kind of like flick of a blade almost yeah. Yeah. he's the, the 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 only one who who gets kind of like a prolonged uh death yeah, yeah. i mean there, there's even the bit where you know when they've got the, the rival gang member they're like oh we got we got your son and yeah. you know come out and he's like don't kill me or my son and they're like okay and he comes out and there's not even any real tension it's just he comes out they shoot him then they kill his son yeah. and it's um, like he it feels like he just turns around after that yeah yeah, yeah like i mean like we we Shouldn't be surprised if that's the the action they did because they did that earlier when they killed the two um, joint prisoner exchange thing. Yeah. But it was still that scene was actually quite shocking for me. Like it was like you know, please don't kill me or my son, and then it's like you can have you can have everything you want. I'll give you my territory, yeah, yeah. and it's like and there's not even any boasting. There's not even any sort of like beg for your life. It's just like nope, yeah, bang. That's um, it. It's, it's very Hobbesian with that like yeah. lives of men being nasty, brutish, and <laughs> yeah. very short. And it, it's the wonderful kind of coldness that Kurosawa gets across, because it did then, and the 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 way I think when 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 we spoke about Robocop recently, I think when we spoke about the Last Samurai, I said Seven I, Samurai. I hope. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the Last the Samurai. The underrated Tom uh, Cruise. I really hope Last Samurai gets it. <laughs> when when we spoke about the Seven Samurai, I I said when we were talking about which one is I preferred, I said I preferred Yojimbo because I felt like it ended stronger. That there was this kind of like um, epilogue at the end of uh, of Seven Samurai, and that your 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 Jimbo's ending is much more it, there's, there's effective. There's yeah. less. It's it's far less kind of sentimental, mm-hmm. and it, it's it we 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 did Robocop recently, and it's a similar ending. And I really like these endings of movies where they just kind of like um, put well, like be- a button on it, and and, yeah. and he literally says goodbye and then turns around and walks away it's like my um, work here is done yeah. but yeah which we which is great it's like the kind of um nice shooting son what's your name murphy oh, turns yeah. around and leaves what? robocop yeah. i mean i think um, there's yeah. i think there's something to be said for the fact that it leaves a lot up to the audience whereas like seven samurai and i like seven samurai a lot i really love seven yeah. samurai but seven samurai has a big discussion where the, like the samurai talk about oh well yeah. it's the farmer's world now we yeah. just have to go on they'll forget that we existed Whereas, like, Yojimbo makes something fairly close to that point where, yeah. you know, where he's, like, he's massacred everybody in town except the one kid he sent home to be a farmer. Um, and he's wandered off into the distance, yeah. kind of, like, will he, will we see him again? Maybe, depending on how well the box office does. Yeah. But you may not. Um, and it's, like, that's an ending. Yeah, that's actually what I love about cinema in general, are those, um, those films that stop quite abruptly and leave up to the audience to decide what happens immediately next mm. what is the, what is the commentary here and what is it yeah what what, what does it mean without you yeah. without having like an without epilogue where you're like it. yeah i this is what i meant don't yeah. misinterpret me yeah. um so i mean like for example the scene at the end of inception with the spinning top the scene at, at robocop with you went which you mentioned as well there like i think there is something to be said for like the 
you know, just the efficiency of it. And also the, you know, being willing to let the audience reach their own conclusions yeah. about it. Like, yeah. you, when you've got piles of dead bodies in the middle of the street and a samurai sauntering off into the distance, you don't really need Kurosawa <laughs> to make a statement about how, That's well, true. this is all pretty awful, isn't it? <laughs> um, maybe capital, uncheck capitalism isn't a great I thing. Suppose, yeah. Yeah. How much more to be said when there's, you know, dead bodies strewn in the streets and... <laughs> I'm just going to leave. I want to know what happened to the dog. That's my question. <laughs> um, when the dog is like, I'm building a little nest out of human parts at the moment. If only he could have chopped off a few more legs. He's moved to an island, I think. <laughs> oh, when there is a flu. Based on oh, yeah. Um, yeah, Isle of Dogs, uh, which is obviously heavily inspired by Kurosawa as well, um, as one might imagine. Um, and indeed, one suspects. One wonders if the uh, central metaphor of this film may have in some way sort of contributed to that idea. Uh, but anyway, but I mean, there's, it's interesting uh, to note with regards to what we we're talking about with the film's sort of commentary on contemporary Japan, it's actually very much uh, rooted as well in the setting. Like we talked about Kurosawa being very particular about where in Japanese history he sets his samurai films and how in particular he chooses to avoid, say, the Edo period, which is where a lot of the samurai films produced by Toho would have been set. Um, so, and, that, and that's a more romantic era. And it's been suggested that uh, that Yojimbo contributed to the death of the conventional, classical, heroic samurai film in the same way that, you know, the Dollars trilogy perhaps contributed to the death of the conventional standard Western. Because it's a subversion of the conventional samurai. Yeah. It's the samurai um, keep themselves meticulously clean and have a, a, a high kind of moral um standard which yeah. defines everything that they do and, yeah. and they don't take money yeah and as we mentioned in seven samurai yeah, and even here like there's a, the a samurai yet harping about money as one yeah. character observes there and you know you can't tell whose money is who for example you know and all this sort of stuff you know and and his like insistence on taking even though he doesn't ultimately take any of the money for himself but his insistence yeah. on getting paid um, it's all very much a subversion. I mean, just that, from that very first scene, when, you know, during the opening credits, you see him fidgeting and scratching, you know, he's, yeah. and that immediately goes against your initial uh, conception of what a samurai would be, mm. be like. And I mean, even the, the subversion of like the, or the, well, first of all, the, the endorsement of the master of the samurai trope in that, you know, his, it, the wonderful scene at the start where he's wandering around in the wilderness without a master or a care in the world or without an any incredible. Plan. It's an incredible scene. Yeah. He picks up a stick when he comes to a crossroad, throws it randomly in the air and decides to follow it wherever it goes. So it points in the direction of this small town. Yeah. There's some alternate version of Yojimbo where he like arrives in this like, you know, upper middle class, perfect. <laughs> civilized society it's just like let's mess this stuff up yeah. for giggles where do, where he arrives at an orphanage he crashes knuckles and gets to work yeah. this guy in charge is like my brother we're good friends but I'm jealous of his bodyguard I don't need a bodyguard because I'm in no danger but I can't <laughs> let my brother have one and me not have one and, uh, um, and then he f- falls in love with him and, and that movie was remade into Kevin Costner's bodyguard <laughs> by the way yeah Yojimbo does translate as the bodyguard as well which is quite nice <laughs> Um, but yeah, there, it was set at the end of the uh, Togogawa regime, which Tokugawa? saw the Tokugawa regime, which saw the breakdown of the class uh, sort of divisions, and you can sort of see that there. It was two hundred years of relative peace, which meant, by the way, that you no longer needed samurai. Like, if you lived in a period of sustained peace, obviously your warriors become redundant. So you sort of had this question of what happens with the samurai cast. Mm. And so it's kind of an interesting choice to set a samurai film in an era where, like, samurai were in the middle of this existential sort of struggle. Um, And, like, 
at the same time, while that was happening historically, uh, you also had the rise of the merchant class. Because obviously when you've got peace, you've got prosperity, you've got trading and stuff like that. Mm. And so you've got this sort of entry of like capitalism. And I mean, even at the same time, you would have had the introduction of Western sort of influences on older Japan as well, which is where you get the character who's like been to the Western world and seen wonderful inventions like firearms and sideburns. Um, and <laughs> you do sort of like, you can see that playing through and it works quite well, both as a metaphor, but also in terms of like, as a historical setting. Firearms well. were, were a Far Eastern invention. They were indeed so, originally, but, to be yeah, clear. But the, yeah, the he revolver is a six shooter. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, he's, he, at one point he even tries to pull a fast one. So George's like, I fired two bullets. Oh. That is all that there are in this gun. And like, I kind of wonder if Sanjuro like, did he I, fall for it? Yeah, I, part of me just thinks he was being incredibly nihilistic. I mean, like, I'll give him the gun if he shoots me. It, I, uh, think, yeah. I think he wanted to see the hope and then <laughs> failure. <laughs> um, in, to in, feast. Yeah. Like, this is the perfect setup. I'll give you the gun back. Yeah, yeah you look like you'll now keel over me. before. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong? Oh, oh, you're going blind, you say? Oh, this is hilarious. Um, it's like the little cherry on top of my despair Sunday, really. Don't worry, you sleep. You can kill me later. Yeah. Um, you're a big guy. You need yeah. your rest. Yeah. Uh, but there is this sort of thing playing through it as well, like that is quite consciously playing with the idea of the samurai. Because it's been argued, and Kurosawa arguably well, Kurosawa on the record has been quite disappointed with one of the legacies of Yojimbo which was that it led to a breed of nastier bloodier samurai films because it proved that audiences really liked nasty and bloody uh, samurai films and so you got a sense of like while Kurosawa was commenting on the pointlessness of violence and the futility of violence it sort of had this misaimed fandom almost and people were like Actually, pointless violence is pretty great. And so you started seeing a lot more blood and a lot more violence. And you'd actually, some historians or film historians would trace the roots of, you know, the movies that Quentin Tarantino likes, uh, the sort of the, the assassin movies and stuff like that, back to this film where you get mountains or sort of fountains of blood in technicolor glory sort of spouting from people being chopped with samurai swords. Mm. And apparently Kurosawa was actually quite disappointed with that because he thought it was a, a misunderstanding of what he was trying to do here, of what he was trying to say with the film, which is kind of interesting, I think. A big misreading of the audience. It's like, you know, yeah. oh, wow, they love all this stuff. This isn't meant to happen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they were meant to feel depressed yeah. and downbeat when I showed them this film. They like, they like my movie, which is okay, because I'm good. <laughs> but they also like these movies, which is not okay, because they're bad. <laughs> and so on. So yeah, on. I can make violent movies, because <laughs> no. they're big and important. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, seems, it seems a bit kind of turly. Well, I mean, we, we yeah. have, yeah, we have had, like, we've, we've quoted from Kurosawa, and Kurosawa can occasionally seem a little bit curmudgeon when he's talking yeah. about uh, his films and about, you know, sort of what the films that he's trying to make. And, like, for example, here's Kurosawa talking about, like, what inspired him to make Yojimbo. For a long time, I had Do wanted. The accent there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. For a long time, I had wanted to make a really interesting film, and it finally turned into this. And it, you know, he says, you know, surprising nobody ever thought about it. The idea is about rivalry on both sides, and both sides being equally bad. We all know what this is like. Here we are, weakly caught in the middle, and it is impossible to choose between two evils. And so, like, he's arguing that this is like a fundamental existentialist, like, philosophical film as well, which uh, it is in many ways, shape and form, but it's kind of interesting to see him argue, like, because we talked about how it's a metaphor for, like, capitalism, the westernization of Japan, 
he's also framing it in a very existential sense. And like, there's a sense that like, we are all Sanjuro who wander, you know, get caught between these two massive evils, which are not necessarily like outside of ourselves. They may even be yeah. within ourselves. And we're caught, I like that he says weakly in the middle. Um, as if like Sanjuro isn't in complete control of the situation from the outset. And I guess a political thing. Well, I'll just vote for a third party candidate. <laughs> Go um, ahead, throw your vote away. Um, but th- there is like there is a sense that like he's he's sort of framing uh, Yojimbo as, and I think I think it's fair. I think there is you can read Yojimbo as like a metaphorical exploration of what it is to live in a world of of sin and depravity, and and you know where every choice you make is a bad choice because yeah. there are no good choices, and the only reasonable thing to do is to burn it all to the ground. Yeah. I mean, the... Yojimbo is very much an expression of, like, the dialogue in Seven Samurai, where the characters are like, yeah, but if you die, maybe the afterlife is just as horrible as this yeah. one. <laughs> maybe it's man's role to suffer. He's created a kind of a utopia at the end, where there's this peaceful village. <laughs> all he had all to the do... problems are solved. <laughs> all he had to do was just kill all but three people who happen yeah. to be living in it. It's like, right, no... Um, yeah, no more mental language now. <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's a lot calmer now. Yeah. But I mean, there is... Let's talk a little bit about the actual filming of this, because this is the way that this was shot was like Kurosawa. Technically, we talked about like Seven Samurai in terms of like his use of um, telephoto lenses to sort of compress the image and stuff like that. He goes very much the opposite direction in in this film. I think it's his third widescreen film, and I think that while other sort of stylists from around the time were a little anxious about the use of widescreen, what he does in Yojimbo with widescreen is just incredible. It's a movie that arguably only really works because it's in widescreen because you get like first of all you get these wonderful like long distance shots of Sanjuro where he's isolated between these buildings on this gigantic like empty street that sort of underscores like just how small in theory this character is when you compare it to what's happening like in the outside you know the forces that work in the world but it also then gives you this wonderful sense of space where you have the rival gangs where you can capture the length and breadth of a street and show like what are basically opposing armies. I mean, you can sort of like it, they're obviously not quite as impressive as the armies in Ran, the color coded armies in Ran, and not just because it's in black and white, but you can get all that action sort of crammed into the frame, which yeah. is very clever and very canny. And like it's, it shows scale quite well, I think, in yeah. that way, because like it's it's obviously shot on widescreen. You know, the the street itself is very wide and long, so when you fill it with people, like you you feel the scale. Yeah. And you do, you get this sort of, I think it's it's um, Donald Ritchie, actually, um, the, the critic who wrote the, the book on Kurosawa. He made the point that one of the interesting things that Kurosawa does while filming in widescreen, because he, he also made a point to use telephoto lenses, which compress the space as well. But one of the things that he does in this film in particular is he tends to shoot scenes involving large crowds from like right angles at 90 degrees. He doesn't do a lot of diagonal work except in close-ups. So you get this sort of sense of watching two opposing forces that are traditionally on one side of the screen or the other. So there's a great shot, for example, when um, when Sanjuro's in his little umpire's chair, as we referred to it, where you can sort of see the two armies creeping in the, the bottom of the frame, the left yeah, and the right-hand yeah, side, yeah. which works beautifully as well. Yeah. You have, like, the idea of, like, 
literal ownership of space. The film conveys space very, very well. Like you get a sense of how the town is laid out and where the gangs are based and how they relate to one another in a way that's very organic and very logical. Like, I mean, even in the scene where they're burning down the distillery, for example, you have like running from from right to left. You have the the gang burning it down firmly on the left and you have the people who are in the building coming on screen from the right. And then occasionally you cut to watching them coming close up as well. But I mean, even in um, smaller, more intimate scenes, you have this wonderful sort of like horizontal quality to it, where because the space is compressed, you have characters sort of who line up from left to right. And you can sort of see it even in the scenes in the bar, for example, you know, where, where Sanjoro is sort of like sitting and, and making his sort of, you know, he's watching and observing when the inspector comes to town. And you have like a scene laid out in the background between the fences, but you have characters who come up to the fence and then move, you know, they go right in order, they go left in order to get in and then come back right. And sort of looks like a tableau effect. And there's this really cool bit where, first of all, when the brother shows up and he enters and you get that sort of like flat effect there. But then when the wife of, of the guy who owns the distillery um, shows up, what Kurosawa does is he rotates the camera 90 degrees and basically flips the image. Uh, but he does it in a way that remains flat. So it's it's like you've turned ninety degrees in in a physical space you you move through it but it's still perfectly horizontal like and it's it's remarkable how he does it because they both come through two separate entrances but they still both look really flat and really compressed and it's it's really really great and it's a really great use of space mm. in terms of framing because we talked about how on Seven Samurai he'd use the telephoto lens to make sure that he could capture all seven actors in the same frame through like manipulation of depth. Yeah. Here he does the kind of the same horizontally as well, which is is remarkable and very very impressive. Mm. Um, and he he does that absolutely beautifully. I think like it's it's a stunning looking film for a film that we talked about where the violence is mostly contained. It's always visually interesting. There's always something interesting happening, and it's aged very very well in that respect. I think. Yeah, actually. I I, I, I feel uh, uh, sorry. No, like I mean, I don't know if 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 you felt this as well, but like in those kind of small those scenes smaller scenes in the um like the bar like with the brother and the the wife of the other gang and stuff i i got a sense it was almost quite claustrophobic and yeah. it's quite like everyone on top of each other um which i kind of felt obviously helped a lot but like it, it's kind of only struck me now that like that was kind of something i felt like kind of the way he shot that it's, yeah. it makes it feel quite everyone on top of each other you know conflicting interesting Lee, enough, actually, um, one of the arguments about, um, or one of the interesting discussions about, like, the collaborations between uh, Kurosawa and his, his cinematographer, who was uh, Mayagama, like, the tele- the telephoto lens and, and the wide cinemascope images, they both saw themselves, like, working in a cinematic tradition that went back to, like, old-school Japanese paintings. And, and like, you talk about the aesthetic of Japan, you, you know exactly the paintings that I'm, I'm referring to. But, like, uh, Sergei Eisenstein has argued that, like, those paintings were an influence in terms of visual storytelling for film, in terms of positioning um, narratively elements that are important, in terms of framing, in terms of using foreground and background. Like uh, Eisenstein argued that like those were much more illustrative of how you told stories on film in the middle of the 20th century as compared to European painters, where you relied a lot more on, say, natural light, uh, or you tried to capture natural light and that that sort of stuff, which you didn't really do, you know, until, you know, digital became possible or Kubrick tried to do it with with, um, Barry Lyndon. Oh, yeah. Kind of like the Dutch masters are, are, are great at having these 
these uh, paintings where you could spend a while kind of like looking at the different kind of uh, characters like the the was it uh, Peter Bruegel the elder he has this kind of um uh, what's it called dutch aphorisms or something like that where where each um each character in the painting is 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 demonstrating a um like a saying um oh. and and um but the thing about that is there is no focus yeah. Versus, uh, well, in, there's no focus, in, and there's also infinite amount of time on your part to take yeah, in the image. Like to, you yeah. don't have to follow it linearly. Like yeah. you can stand there and stare at the painting yeah. and work it out as long as it takes you. Whereas, versus, versus where it would like it, uh, something like cinema, where where the director tells you where to look. Yeah, mm. and and gives you a, like a cavalcade of images and, and controls the rhythm and the speed of those shots. Mm. And Eisenstein argued that yeah, Japanese uh, paintings traditionally were more reflective of how that how the eye worked in cinema than those paintings would have been at the time and i think that uh, kurosawa and and his cinematographer kind of both believed that and, and i think you can yeah. sort of see that in the in the framing here where you have a lot of you have a lot of flattened images but you have a lot of movement on the left and right yeah. of them and like you do have background stuff but generally speaking your your focus is on left and right yeah and it, like the there's a lot of kind of affection for 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 theater sometimes because it's a kind of like an older art form and there's a lot of things you can experience in theater that you can't in cinema but uh, there, there, there's not often the same the, the the sort of acknowledgement of some of the weaknesses of theater like where 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 do there's um kind of like a setup to a scene where somebody is moving and then they stop kind of moving so that somebody else can move um, where and and the, I I remember in school kind of like saying to my teacher because we were we were going to like uh, Macbeth, and and saying like the kind of weakness of the soliloquy I can understand why it was important then, like that was the kind of like height height of culture, but I I quite like the Sopranos and when you have a a a a um, close up. On, on Tony's face, you don't require a soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's, that's arguably the difference between even theatre acting and, and screen acting, is because yeah. you can bring the camera closer. Whereas opposed to if you're performing in theatre, you have to be performing oh. for the person in the cheap seats. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's right. one of the arguments about television acting and why... Sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> oh, no, it's, it's an interesting that's tangent, though. It's a fascinating tangent, because, again... And I think Kurosawa has sort of talked about this when he talks about why he worked with Mifune. We mentioned the quote on the Seven Samurai mm. episode where it takes Mifune, like, you know, uh, seven yards of film to express what other actors take 12. Mm. Um, and there's a sense of, like, with a certain generation of television actors who came from theatre, you have a bigger, broader sort of, like, performance style because you're still performing for the cheap seats. And particularly because in the early days of television, the sets would have been much smaller, mm. There would have been a lot more static. It would have the image wouldn't have been quite as clear as it would have been on a gigantic screen. You would have to go broader and and bigger in order to get across. Whereas with film and with modern television, where you have HDMI, you can close up on a person's yeah. face and you can communicate a lot that you can't that you couldn't do through theater and you couldn't have done back in the old day of television. Now I think that like I think to a certain extent, um, Kurosawa likes the broadness because mm. I mean I think Mifune is in many ways he's. And he's a great actor. Um, I think that there is a certain broadness to his performance. I mean, yeah. he's not subtle in like him scratching and acting like a dog. And having said that, I feel like there is a kind of like an evolution of because um, it it's it's 
it's handy to think of uh, Mifune as the same character throughout, <laughs> like the, the the likes of Seven Samurai, Rashomon, um, and Yojimbo and Sanjuro, yeah. because be, be be because of the similarities, but also like this is seven years after um, uh, the Seven there, Samurai. Yeah. In 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 the Seven Samurai, he's the, this kind of like pretender who's who's not not. Not a real, um, not a real samurai. samurai he's got his own little fake history. In in in, in Yojimbo, he's a master samurai. But also the and 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 I know it's 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 because because of the kind of similarities in performance, it, there there there's a kind of a certain continuity there. But there's also a sort of a development because this is a more contemplative. Um, character than 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 uh, than we have in in the Seven Samurai, um, not the Last Samurai, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because like there's 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 that great point where 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 he says um, I need to think and drink kind of yeah. like um, and he's basically kind of scheming rather than kind of like articulating run, running writing. off and and just kind of um, doing things kind of on the fly. Yeah, He's, more reflective. Yeah. Exactly. There's also... His... Well, I think that that's in perhaps like a reflection of like the structuring of the film as well. Because, I mean, I know Seven Samurai is like six hours long. No, it's, it's only four <laughs> hours long. But you still have seven main characters, the yeah. villagers and the bandits all competing for space. And yeah. so if you want that, you have to have characters yeah. who are like larger than life and gregarious. Whereas... On the other hand, with this, like it's very clear that Sanjuro is is the main character, and I mean, mm. you could argue that like the physical, you know, the emphasis on like physical grotesquery on the part of the villains is just a use of shorthand, so you don't have to spend as much time with them. I mean, yeah. sideburns yeah. reveal a lot about a man, Ugh. but you also. Um, but I think that Sanjuro has like a luxury that many of the main characters, including the one played by Mifuno in Seven Samurai, didn't have, which yeah. is space, yeah. like narratively that, and even physically in terms oh, of the horizontal. Yeah. In layer. terms of maturity, though, you, you also have the, the the kind of ways in which in in which um, uh, San, Sanjuro reacts to the, the the way he reacts to women. So there's a moment where there's this ridiculous kind of song and dance where they introduce the geishas <laughs> and say, "Oh." Enjoy yourself. Take a load off, and and he's kind of looking at them like, "What is this nonsense?" I've seen better. <laughs> also, these people aren't money. Yeah, <laughs> you're not money. You're not money. You're definitely not money. Sanjuro um, is so, so money supermarket. Um, I, I did like, by the way, that again, tying into the capitalist themes of this, it's like when they're herding the women out into yeah, the yeah, they're in, like uh, they're like cattle. Yeah, we paid good money for you oh, as yeah. well. It is like herding yeah. sheep. There's, there's the commercialization moments, of yeah. human life. There's a few moments where you have a person who who's who's been uh, uh, people who've been wrapped in kind of lasso has been pulled along yeah. by, oh. by ropes as if as if they're cattle. Yeah, yeah. like I, with the with the prisoner exchange, where it's not that they're um, their their hands aren't tied. It's like no, yeah. no, they're actually on a lead yeah. like a dog, um, yeah. except like a more like cattle, as you pointed out. Yeah, which I think is is. Perhaps playing with that Western motif as well, because it, it looks, it is a lasso, basically. Yeah, commodifying um, these people. That, that is it, yeah. And I mean, chattel, yes. Yeah. And again, you don't want, because we watched Django last week, you don't want to want, you don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole, but you have that sort of commercialization of individuals, which was largely glossed over in the contemporary Westerns of the 60s and 70s. Um, but you kind of wonder if, like, if Kurosawa were making a Western, 
one suspects he may have been interested in slavery and the ideas of it because you, you get yeah. a bit of that here with the, with the girls who are treated like property the people who are tied up yeah. and, and walked on leads which 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 is properly subversive subversive and cynical like it, it, it in 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 a way that a lot of uh, westerns made at the time and since weren't with it, uh, like the 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 Simpsons joke where they have the the kind of uh, Western theme park and it's oh, like <laughs> the Westworld one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like that's my prostitute, <laughs> <laughs> and they're all fighting over hookers. <laughs> um, yeah, where it's not like the the kind of um, idealized Hollywood version of yeah. the John West. Wayne. Yeah, it would actually makes me think it would be interesting to see what Crusoe would have done if he'd made a straight Western, like mm. set in the old yeah. West. And would it have would it have compared to? Well, he the he oldies? did try and go overseas with Tora Tora Tora, wasn't it? He mm. he he was supposed to direct half of that, um, and he had such a horrible experience with the American studios that he vowed never again. Um, to the point where I think his his biggest the big biggest Western involvement uh, of his later career was casting Martin Scorsese as Vincent Van Gogh or Van Gogh in um, was Dreams. Uh, Scorsese has a small cameo there. Because obviously Scorsese and people like Francis Ford Coppola at the time were encouraging him mm. to keep making films and giving him the capacity to keep making films yeah. even after other Japanese studios had sort of lost interest in him. Mm. Okay, I do wonder, I think, I, one of the things I think is interesting about Kurosawa is that he hasn't done the thing that many foreign directors do now. And maybe it's a maybe it's a result of ho- the Hollywood working differently now than it did back in we the day. We say foreign, we mean oh, well, non-American. also Hollywood. Also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, also including Irish directors. But where you have this culture in contemporary Hollywood of like looking at successful international directors and then bringing them over and getting them to make yeah. uh, films in that market for, for audiences. And you can see that there's a whole host of like... Um, Roar Tang is the guy who directed the new uh, Tomb Raider film, for example. Yeah. You know, you have this sort of like culture of, of getting film directors who are foreign based and are based overseas and bring them in and ask them to make English language films, yeah. particularly, say, action movies. And, Paul and, Verhoeven. But, well, yeah. Um, but yeah, but Paul Verhoeven has done his own thing. Like, I don't see Paul Verhoeven directing an adaptation of Tomb Raider, to give yeah. an example of this. Yeah. No. That's. So I wonder, like, if Kurosawa, if Kurosawa had arrived later, would he have been, had that opportunity to go over and to make a Western in the mm-hmm. States? Would somebody have been actually, like, Seven Samurai and Ujimbo are great Westerns. You should come over and make what is effectively an English-language Western. Yeah. And what that would be like. But it, it is... It is would they call it a ramen Western? <laughs> like, you had a sp- spaghetti <laughs> Western <laughs> with seared... <laughs> with seared <laughs> Um, um, would that be the equivalent? Yeah. Would he be setting? Would it? Would it? Would it? Would it? Would um? Would all the sets be be in Japan? But they've just kind of like got American actors uh, uh, to pop over and visit. Yeah. yeah. Um, Are we talking about the Last Samurai again? <laughs> <laughs> La- yeah, the last summary with Billy Connolly is the oh, extra bit. Like, there's not even amazing. enough to have like a whitewashed protagonist. Yeah. You have to have a whitewashed sidekick as well, uh, because you don't want you don't want any actual authentic Japanese characters or performers in this film in major or significant non-villain roles. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, last Roy was not a good moment for anybody. I'm overwhelming her to watch it though. That's, that's, that's the problem. Right now, well, as right a result now. of Andrew, and I feel like yeah, Andrew's the greatest salesman <laughs> the last samurai ever had. Well, the the, the um, 
uh, Tom Cruise is uh, like whatever we we think about him, he does some good stuff. Uh, like when it comes to cultural appropriation, I, th- I think his next project he's playing Desmond Tutu. Um, <laughs> I, I like the idea that like the Tom Cruise is an actor who is like it was notoriously dedicated to his projects and is no, committed no, to giving one hundred and ten percent. Make fun of no, no, of Tom Cruise. No, no, yeah. I, I know, but he does all his own stunts and stuff. But I like the idea that Andrew takes that idea to its logical extreme of being like, if Tom Cruise is going to appropriate your culture, damn it, he's going to appropriate it thoroughly. Um, he's gonna do it properly, God. Yeah. A silly aside about Tom Cruise. Go on, go on. We'll, we'll get back to Kurosawa as the, the more important conversation. No. Our, our listeners are going to want to... They're going to sort of dangle now. Come on, give, give, us some, give us some Tom Cruise. Did you know he was a Scientologist? <laughs> I was going to say he could apply some Daniel Day-Lewis levels and, you know, all that tech from Mission Impossible. He could really engage himself in some, you know, cultural appropriation roles. Absolutely. The, 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 the way technology now allows you to appropriate culture is like much faster and sharper. <laughs> and more rapidly, without actually having to go overseas as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so one of the interesting facts about this is, you know, all the dust... Um, that was in the that was used in the film. So obviously, there's a great shot of San Sanjuro standing at the end, and it's a great Western shot because you can imagine Clint Eastwood. In fact, I'm fairly sure a fistful of dollars steals the shot, you know, perfectly. But the the bit where Sanjuro standing at the end of the street with dust sort of billowing behind him, apparently they actually imported the dust. Uh, from from an abandoned firing range. Once the wind machine started, it was impossible for the actors to keep their eyes open. Um, and apparently, the actor, the the guy who played the the son with the gun, uh, was shooting his death scene over the course of three days, where the the combination of fake blood and blowing dust made him break out in hives that oh. lasted for weeks. So the agony that the character seemed to be facing at that moment in time, as he contemplated his mortality. I mean, yeah, I'm. I'm sure uh, Kurosawa probably spoke to him and said, "Listen, I I hear you've got hives, and I don't want that. <laughs> so uh, could you do something about those? I'm trying to make a movie here. Uh, yeah. If it, like he he's a great director of weather, uh, Kurosawa, because uh, like the last uh, Kurosawa movie we watched was. Uh, seven with seven Sam- samurai and there was the the downpour kind of like throughout the the, um, the final kind of battle sequence the the i mean there are also aspects of it in ran as well yeah. ran yeah. also has the howling wind as well yeah. and i wonder if that's a conscious choice on i said well, i don't wonder i suspect that's a conscious choice on the part of of kurosawa basically in keeping with his theme of how awful human beings are it's like none of what you're actually attempting means anything in the grand scheme of things because the world will just rain down on it and yeah. howl and blow and and regardless of what yeah. you do, yeah. the way like mountains become eroded, like and mm-hmm. and we're not mountains, we're yeah. we're made of flesh. Yeah. yeah, there's a sense of being sort of worn down and beaten by it, and the fact that yeah, that though even the, even constant bombardment, you know that sort of yeah. kind of. Well, that's it. The world seems angry. In in Kurosawa films, the world constantly seems angry. And to be fair, watching Kurosawa films, you can understand why the world would possibly be angry, given the level of violence and suffering that people seem to inflict on one another. Yeah. I find it interesting that, like, kind of, um, you know, kind of, the audience sees the film through Sanjuro, and he's he's kind of the, the audience's way into the film. And I find it interesting that he is kind of, as a character, he's kind of a product of this kind of long forgotten system it's kind of he's now warriorless class and just a wanderer through and it's interesting that like that's kind of the the kind of character that the audience has to hitch on 
to kind of learn about this kind of um, anti-Western kind of um, vibe. The fact that yeah. he, he exists. I love the fact that he's a masterless samurai who then masters the environment in which he finds himself because yeah. it, it's very much a rejection of the caste system in which he's supposed to be and to be honest you I, get a sense of the other characters expecting him to behave mm. like a samurai like a samurai is supposed to behave in his caste yeah. which is like we tell you to go kill this guy you go kill this yeah. guy we're lining up to fight what, what do you mean you don't want to fight we're That's... gangsters how dare you have no principles of your own <laughs> yeah i mean come on yeah don't they... you understand how honor works <laughs> Because uh, Kurosawa, like Sanjuro, uh, was born to to be a samurai. He's he was. from the the, the, the samurai oh, yeah. uh, class or uh, um, caste. But uh, like Sanjuro, decided to be a director instead. <laughs> Actually, that's an interesting. Uh, that's an interesting sort of point. Like, because Sanjuro is basically the director. You argued about he's, the umpires too. Uh, so, like with with, with so the with the big um, megaphone. Um, yeah, the the cone that he's like, uh, shouting. Yeah. yeah, it is. In some ways, it's sort of autobiographical. Uh, yeah. it reminds with those, me with those with those flappy pants that they wear, <laughs> and sunglasses and little beret, uh, I can't... and a cigarette like on. <laughs> On a, on a holder, <laughs> uh, but I, I do actually. I think there's there's probably something to that because it actually reminds me a bit of the bit where he's standing up watching the two armies come at each other across the street. Now I know Ran is much later in sort of Kurosawa's filmography, whereas Eyesight was failing to the point where he would dress up the soldiers and armies in color so he could direct them from a distance and say what he wanted to see. I do sort of see a little bit of that in the sequence of uh, of Sanjuro sitting atop the umpire seat. And by the way, that, that's a really great example of the use of widescreen because it allows Kurosawa to show both the advancing armies mm. and Sanjuro in the same shot at roughly 90 degrees angle. He doesn't have to give a diagonal shot. He can pretty much occupy like the left space of the screen or the right space of the screen, depending on whether he's shooting from the right or the left, mm. with, with the army and have Sanjuro sitting down without having to angle or, or compress the space at all, which is very, very good as well. Yeah. But I do I do sort of see a little bit, now that you've pointed out, I can't unsee the image of Kurosawa <laughs> sitting up there going, and now you brutally murder each other um, for my amusement. Because there is, he's very much in control of the situation. Interestingly enough, as you pointed out, the only thing that leads him to sort of fall out of control or to lose grip of control yeah. is when he acts like a human being. Yeah. Um, and this is sort of interesting because it kind of gets back to what I find interesting about San Giorno as a samurai because I think it's fair to say Yojimbo has a very grim view of humanity. And and the, the fact that like San Giorno acts out of compassion to reunite this family, give them the money and tell them to go on their way and, you know, make a better life or maybe come back when I've killed everybody in the village. <laughs> I don't know. But the fact that the film punishes him for that, yeah. and it's very clearly punishing him for that. It's like if he hadn't have done it, yeah. he would be perfectly fine. And I, I think it, it 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 compounds the nihilism of the movie, not yeah. just because he's um, been punished for his good deeds, but because the innocents that he's helping are in some ways just as bad to him, are almost as bad, are bad in a different way. Than the than the true grotesque villains are because they're stupid. <laughs> they're 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 uh, and he he says like I hate 
that um, pathetic, pathetic yeah. Oh, yeah, when they're down yeah, and they're yeah. thanking him and he's yeah. like no you guys should really go before I get yeah. caught and murdered yeah. and, and it's, like, it's, it's, you're it's, foolish it's, and you're cowardly and you're you're like the, like this man is being made a cuckold and still is is is, is kind of like in in um, just living living across the road kind of yeah. and 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 then it's like now 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 you're free to leave why haven't you left yet yeah, yeah. and he then it's through his actions that get him into get yeah. Sanjo into trouble later on. The yeah. the, the 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 thank you letter. Yeah, That's... is what is what which is you know basic human courtesy and decency. Um, and like you're surprised well, that Sanjo didn't thank you letters for this reason. For, for exactly <laughs> this reason. Yeah, um, it's weaponized thank you letters. Um, it's like. But I, I do, and again, Sanjurno not like destroying that immediately and perhaps having some hint of sentimentality is, you know, it doesn't ultimately undo him because he still manages to cause enough trouble to survive. He manages to claw his way back up. But it is telling that in the world of the film, even if even if Sanjuro is not as bleak and heartless and cynical as he seems to be, even if he believe that there's a measure of basic human decency at his core, the film is like, that's the worst part of Sanjuro. That is the failing part of Sanjuro. That is what holds Sanjuro back. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the fact that he has compassion for other people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it just it. I think that's an interesting choice because it makes Sanjuro more than just like an avatar, or more than just like a an abstract concept. It makes him a character because he seems to run against the film. He's not just an instrument of the film in that case, where he is for most of it. As you point out, he's like Kurosawa. He's the guy who arrives and causes all this carnage to happen yeah. while sitting back directing it with a great he deal of care. adds fuel to the fire. Yeah. Kind of like. Whereas that choice he's, makes him a participant, which is yeah. interesting. And it makes means that you can divorce his character arc or his individual, you know, sort of individual character traits yeah. from what the film is saying, which is a very interesting choice, I think. Yeah, essentially the fact that like he ends the film as he started. He's a, yeah. just kind of a uncaring wanderer, like, he's like, okay, goodbye. Yeah. yeah. Off to the next town. Well, mm. that's it. Well, I mean, the, this, the sequel, Sanjuro, which was released the following year, it may actually be a prequel, uh, just based on the chronology of it, it's, which is interesting because uh, in some ways that reflects the Dollars trilogy has a similar structure uh, where uh, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly is actually a prequel to the other two movies despite being released last, mm. um, which is kind of interesting and people don't really sort of notice that as much. Mm. But like um, even in Sanjuro, like you could have a discussion about whether or not that's the same character in, in these movies because... There's no real carryover, and you could, you know, there's a certain amount of that in the Clint Eastwood Western movies as well, where he's the man with no name. But would it matter if he was a different character in these films? Yeah. You know, he's symbolically, he's archetypally the same character, mm. but does it, you know, there's no real direct continuity. He seems to amble through life. You could yeah. imagine that, you know, he is a different character, he's the same character, it makes no difference almost. Yeah. Because, as you pointed out, he's. He's an instrument of change. He's not really changed himself by the, the course of the plot. Mm. He's just a, a wandering, random force at, at work here. Yeah. And it, it's kind of interesting because it's been argued that he is in some ways a, a representation of um, a Japanese sort of spirit. Um, D.P. Martinez in her book Remaking Kurosawa has argued that you could read um, the character of Sanjuro as a... And I apologize, I'm going to mangle this word here. <laughs> Um, but it's a... I'm going to say a Marabito. A Marabito, who's a type of wandering spirit who appears in certain Japanese folktales. Um, 
and again, I'm going to quote from Martinez here where she says that uh, Marbito are mysterious strangers who appear in a town or village and who must be treated carefully. They bring blessings if they are treated well, giving food and drink in the main, but they can destroy a person or place if treated badly. They are trickster deities, hard to pin down, playing jokes and unreliable. And it's kind of, that's not a bad description. Like you wouldn't be surprised to see a film set a hundred years later or a hundred years earlier in which, you know, uh, Toshiro Mifune wearing the exact same costume, carrying his hands inside his little robes in the same way, happens to wander into a different town yeah. and causes chaos. You're like, is, is the character immortal? Is he an abstract concept? Mm, I don't know. He's mellowed a bit by then, and he's <laughs> he's my neighbor Totoro. <laughs> <laughs> there's the adaptation that there's the yeah. connection that I don't think anybody <laughs> expected us to make. Yeah. Um, like a, a, a wood spirit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I did really enjoy um uh I I'm, I'm, I always blank on his name I I, I think the character was um Ogosuke. uh his kind of introduction at uh, like in a, in um towards I guess like the middle of, of 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 the movie but making the kind of choice to leave to leave him out kind of like up until that point and then all of a sudden there's it be, be, because it, you you've kind of set it up as as like oh he's going to make mince meat yeah. of, of 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 all of these fools and then you have this 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 kind of uh, sinister and kind of like sharp um char- uh, character who has this gun who's who, who's uh, and 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 who says um uh, Sanjuro is strong, but is he as strong as a gun? Um, um, and 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 the the can uh, you outthink a bullet? <laughs> <laughs> College boy, eh? <laughs> um, um, and the, the but yeah, where 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 he comes along and that kind of like raises the stakes, oh. but uh, but then um, he's he's still kind of um, dispatched and like when when when. When a, a, a knife is 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 thrown at his hand, hand. he's oh, not yeah. looking around to 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 fight um, Sanjuro. He he's trying to get his gun. Oh. And, like, yeah, I actually yeah. love how how much the film like invests in this idea of the gun as something that is important to yeah. this young man um, in a very primal <laughs> like, and Freudian I can't, way. I but, can't no, die without my gun. I can't yeah. die, yeah. Because um, he's, cr- yeah, he's crying in the dirt. He's yeah. like, please, sir, give me my gun. I, I need it to feel content. But even you like... shot me in the gun! Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude! <laughs> that's replaced the gun with an iPhone. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's the thing. All the scenes with him... Yeah, kids these days... But, like, all the scenes with the character, like, even when there's nothing happening on screen that requires the intervention of a gun, <laughs> is still these wonderful shots of him holding the gun, looking around, wondering, is there something I can menace with my yeah. gun? Um, I know, I'll shoot the bell. Yeah, that's it, exactly. It's like, gotta be something in this town I can shoot. Um, but there is, and again, that's you get a sense that is Kurosawa being vaguely grumpy about kids these days. Yeah. Uh, with, with, with their westernized <laughs> culture and their sort of, yeah. You just uh, need more good guys with guns, I think. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if Sanjuro had a gun, this would be a much shorter film. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there... 
there is actually because he's talked about how he <laughs> coming in with just like what it was like uh, mini guns with like like a feeding a changer like oh, 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 oh. <laughs> somebody got a Rambo it's like as Sanjuro walks through the wreckage of the town <laughs> ten minutes into the film he goes I don't know this is somehow less satisfying yeah. <laughs> and the way those houses are built are so flimsy as well just so oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but I do. I do sort of because um, I mean he has talked about Kurosawa has talked about how like one of the things that inspired him to make Yojimbo was the yakuza uh, in Japan. Uh, yes, uh, which was sort of that's like, why they all of the bad guys have the tattoos. Yeah. I reckon uh, as a nod to that. Because, yeah. because in Japan, like if you, you arrive in Japan and you have a tattoo, well, at le- at le- it, like the culture might have changed now, but it used to be that if if you have a tattoo, it's such a strange thing because oh. uh, that's something that just. The Yakuza have, and this in the, in this case they're all they're all uh, tattooed up from prison. Yeah, yeah. and they, they even have a conversation about it as well. And you have the wonderful shot, obviously, of again this is one of those he's so deft with the sword that he he cut. And I actually I love the way that Kurosawa does those scenes where he cuts the guys, and you don't know whether or not they're dead because they fall to the ground. Yeah, and, and you don't he think ki- they know they're dead. Yeah, they, they don't know if they're still alive. He kicks the guy at one point, and I was wondering like. Dude, did you not see the bit where you slashed his spine? And the guy gets up and is like, oh, actually, I, I just, you know, made it so you can go topless now. Um, you seem to be having a great deal of trouble with those buttons. Here, let me help you. Um, or you seem to be having a great deal of trouble with those ropes. Because yeah. um, there's a lot, and they're shot really well. Kurosawa shoots these sequences really well. Because there's a moment where one of the guys is tied up. And Sanjuro just slashes him really hard with a sword. And all the other characters in the scene are like, dude. Um, like... Did you just got this guy? It's like, what are you doing? Oh, yeah, wait, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, maybe I, next time just give us a heads yeah. up, or just do it slower. Or maybe like, watch this. Yeah, I love, I love if we cut the rope out of the innkeeper and then just pointed the sword towards like the Cooper, like you're next. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I'm so psych. Uh, just I'm kidding. Yeah. Just uh, kidding. Perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, but there are there are, like lots of really nice touches because it's a Kurosawa film. It's got all these wonderful shots and all these wonderful sequences. It's just. <laughs> Like beautifully the, put together. There is the there is a line in the movie where um they're they're talking about murder because the the town is full of murderers and this and and the son um has has murdered um one 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 of the rival mm-hmm. gangs uh, henchmen. And he says, "I killed one of them," and it's like you only killed one. That's nothing to shout about. If you're going to kill one, you might as well kill a hundred. You're already a murderer, yeah. you know. And yeah. and and, and it, it, it kind of it, like um, it reminded me of um, if you're ever playing a video game <laughs> where it, requ- it requires a certain amount of stealth, and then uh, <laughs> things just go completely nuts and you end up like killing everybody that you didn't mean to the tendency you I are talking have... about a video game right yeah <laughs> that's not clear so like um i, I used to play hitman blood money and i'd be, uh. t- be trying to like cause as little damage as possible and then something goes wrong and i get caught and then like and then there's like so many casualties so it's like i kind of want to finish off everybody else now <laughs> um, i i, 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 I wonder why sanjiro didn't kind of have, <laughs> that stage have, just have, have proper bloodlust like, yeah yeah <laughs> i like i like the idea well i mean there it is possible to play i think it's a maybe G- he's a better man maybe, than I. yeah just, who am i just before he walks off you know down the road of saying goodbye you just kind of see him raise his knife as so for a second like no. <laughs> <laughs> bad center <laughs> 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 I know the guy threw a Tomorrow dagger. Is another day. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of towns to destroy. Um, yeah. 
But I, I do like the... There, apparently there's a way to do is a GTA 3 where you only kill one innocent person. Like, apparently it's possible to play through GTA without killing any innocent people or killing a handful of in innocent G- people. Uh, well, in how G- fun is that? In, 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 in GTA 5, I play this completely... Um, uh, like as innocently as I could where I was only seemed to be kind of like d- d- um, d- doing things that were missions and then all of a sudden kind of like halfway through they introduced the, the character of Trevor who's a complete oh. nutter psychopath and then like everything else is up. so it would be out of character if you were to, to, to continue to kind of apply that same morality I, 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 like, I like Andrew's very rational of yeah. application of logic to video games as well yeah um, I like the idea of Andrew like indicating before yeah, he turns yeah. in GTA. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Andrew yeah. was playing the game, and it's like there was there was a, a certain outlet that just wasn't being met, and then Trevor pops up there, boom. <laughs> there <you go>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's driving without tax or without a license. <laughs> yeah. hasn't paid his insurance. Sometimes <laughs> he even got out. He's got his car. <laughs> 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 he may even have committed grand theft auto possibly um, but yeah just you know uh, with the character with the gun and everything he represents it just occurred to me there you know the, the you know kind of the parallel with that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where you know oh with in, the whip in, and the gun Indiana yes Indiana comes up against a, a swordsman and then just shoots him dead and walks off I was like, what a film that could have been if you shot Shanjor on the street. <laughs> oh, See you later. Like, I, do, I do like the idea of the rest of the film being 40 minutes of just staring at Sanjuro's corpse while a little dog comes up sniffing around. It's like, <laughs> it's like ooh, another hand. Yeah, our, our life, our world is that empty and hollow and bleak. I like, um, I like that like he had a, f- a couple of days to think of this solution to, so he has a gun, throwing knife. <laughs> and, and, and I wonder, like, if he. Well, to be fair, he, it's not if, as if the guy is ever separated from the gun. You get the sense this dude sleeps with his gun. And, <laughs> I like the thought that as Sanjuro goes on, he encounters more guns and, and de- <laughs> develops the throwing knife further to where he has a gun that fires knives. <laughs> throwing knives. Yeah. Yeah. He has, like, this Rambo like, machine gun belt. These knives like... sometimes get caught in the chamber, so I think I'm going to replace them with bullets. <laughs> 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 um, Interestingly, you know that really great shot where he's practicing um, with the knife after he's healing. Amazing, where yeah, he throws the leaf. knife and catches the leaf. You know how they shot that? They actually shot it in reverse. In reverse. I was thinking. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I'm, I, 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 as I was watching it, I was thinking that's probably how they did it because it's one of those amazing things. Yeah, it's, it looks absolutely yeah. beautiful, and it's one of those great old school special effects where it's like they actually did this. This is a physical leaf and a physical knife. Yeah. It's amazing. So he actually, yep, he he put the knife in and and sorry, he took the knife out and then they dangled it on a, on a string and stuff. It's, it's really, really impressive. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's really, really great. Well, with that in mind, then, we might wrap up. Um, there's very little to be done. What we might do is we might take a look at the film that we're going to review next week. Um, so Chris, as our guest of honour, and Kurosawa expert... Uh, or kurosawa um, Kur- oh, damn it. <laughs> Darren is the, the pun man. For a waiter, if you will. Ah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so we may... Just with a K. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners at home. When I say curator, <laughs> I mean curator. Yeah. Um, but we do have a matter of business. You have to make a very tough choice. This is a choice where you decide, are you a human being with real feelings like Sanjuro? 
Or are you cold, heartless, and nihilistic like the film in which he finds himself? So we're going to ask you, do you want to introduce the bottom 100 films of all time into consideration for the random number generator? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to take the temperature of the room here. And, uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Go on, then. All right. Um, I'll yeah. that upon you. Chris is Chris is not going to be caught sleeping helping a helpless family uh, survive their experience. It's changed oh, no. the number generator a little bit. It used to be it used to be these um, um, kind of punch cards that we put into it. Now now it's numbered balls, but the bottom one hundred are all those little green glass yeah, balls waiting. from the movie The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> but they're also numbered. Yeah, yeah. just don't eat them. So we're going to ask Glass Chris... plastic. <laughs> we're going to okay. ask Chris to fire up the machine. Here we go. It's generating number 228. Number 228. Number 228. Touch of Evil. Orson Welles, Ooh. A Touch of Evil, starring Charlton Heston as a Mexican. Uh, there you go. <laughs> There's our lead line. So let's <laughs> take a look back. You've and... seen Charlton Heston. <laughs> <laughs> but have you seen Charlton Heston? Playing a Mexican. <laughs> well, let's find out. Let's fire up the trailer uh, and take a look at this. This was her wedding night. Where was the man she had married? Who were these hoodlums? Golden legs. Starring this outstanding cast, Charlton Heston, Janet Lee. I could love being corny if my husband will only cooperate. <laughs> Orson Welles. Co-starring Joseph Kalea, Akim Tamirov, with guest stars Marlena Dietrich, Jaja Gabor. What are you trying to do? We're trying to strap you in the electric chair, boy. Only the offbeat, original, creative powers of Orson Welles could bring you so suspenseful, so gripping, so different a drama of love threatened by vengeance. Mike may be spoiling some of your thoughts. Mike? My husband, yeah. And if you're trying to scare me into calling him off, let me tell you something, Mr. Grandy. I may be scared, but he won't be. Of a struggle between titans. You framed that boy. Framed him! Of a manhunt like nothing you've ever experienced. Oh, God, now I'm a husband. What did you do with her? Where is my wife? My wife! So listeners who were listening to that trailer didn't see the title card where immediately after listing Charlton Heston as a Mexican, it boasted about a tale told with startling realism. Um, <laughs> it's fascinating. I've seen In, this... Incredible cast. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really, really looking forward to this. because It's I, been I, years. I, lo- I love 
Orson Welles. I've never seen it. And, okay. and when I say I love Orson Welles, that's like speaking as somebody who, who, because I'm not a film buff, will not actually take the effort to go out and seek him. <laughs> and it, it was like, if I, oh, it's Orson Welles, I'll watch that. Um, like the, 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 the only effort I'll go to is like you YouTubing like various versions of, of, of John Gandhi playing him or his outtakes from ads for... for um, his cameo in Ed Wood. There is a wine in California. Andrew is a big fan of the first animated Transformers film, I believe Orson Welles' last role, possibly, as well. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, no. Really? Yeah, I believe it was, yeah. Oh, wow. Yep, you can practically hear him cashing the, the check. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it is like the... the I'll remember tra- that for a quiz night one night. <laughs> the animated uh, film has a great cast. It's got Leonard Nimoy as well, actually, what? which is why... Yeah, why he popped up in the Michael Bay versions as well. I like the fact that we're talking about like one of Orson Welles' most seminal <laughs> films here. And we're like, by the way, did you know Transformers was his last role? Let's uh, shimmy shimmy into Transformers. <laughs> yeah, as, as quickly as we can. But no, Imagine like, all the steam kind of like coming out of the robot and like slowly getting getting up and it's like I can't read these lines <laughs> um, no uh, Orson is this is uh, they're, they're robots from another planet what, what is this nonsense <laughs> um, I'm hitting my mark <laughs> um, I was a director you know um, I love the idea of Orson Welles being sort of a difficult critical director while making Transformers as opposed to being like boom 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 done car uh, but there is yeah, Touch of Evil I haven't seen it in years it's a, an Orson Welles film like obviously huge amount of respect for Orson Welles but this is a film that I remember quite liking when last I saw it despite certain incongruities uh, in the casting choices and I love that the trailer makes it sound like it's taken but with Charlton Heston playing a Mexican where it's like where's my wife watch me throw you into some tables it's a harrowing trailer oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, from the from the outset yeah, yeah it's like oh god Particularly yeah, in the yeah. context of like the late fifties, yeah. right? Because this was—I've uh, actually never seen it, but like I, I know life about it. But like it's, yeah. The, the opening scene looks like it's from some. It does look like it's from a horror film oh. from much later as well, because it, it is incredibly intense. It's very disturbing and unsettling. Yeah. And like this is not the film itself. This is the trailer for the film. And it, uh, it's the the his, kind of um, his, hysterical kind of worry at the time that the. the um, the, the 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 mania over like teddy boys are coming to take you and your loved ones. Yeah, and, Reesers. Uh, with their rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> yeah, um, and that wonderful sort of fifties style of shooting the the villains head on as well, in which makes it really awkward. Like they're having a face to face conversation with you while also being really creepy and intimidating. Um, <laughs> But it is, yeah. It's, it's like these days when there's all these uh, Skrillex uh, electropunks like roaming <laughs> our streets. Um, <laughs> that's the problem with, with modern styles. Modern yeah. post-apocalyptic thrillers don't really have the sort of like even in the eighties you had sort of like punks who could provide like a, a sort of a compelling like social like nightmarish yeah. scenario. <laughs> the these days it's hard to imagine millennials <laughs> as like a threat to any like that's the problem with. Oh, wait till I tweet about this. Yeah, like Death Wish starring Bruce. Willis where it's a bunch of people who are like well I gave him a one star Yelp review uh, <laughs> I what what I'd like to see is a kind of like a, 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 a social 
horror movie where it's juggalos who are like kidnapping some kids have juggalos suffered enough they've been classified as a gang by the FBI which which is what they always wanted (laughs) they're officially cool now (laughs) no way easy on the juggalos oh yeah insane clown posse um, <laughs> uh, they're yeah they're, they're 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 going to like have serious thoughts about us, uh, us like characterizing okay I was more thinking just basic decency I was always <laughs> thinking like it's stop picking on the uncool kids juggalos <laughs> uncool kids no <laughs> <laughs> okay I, the juggalos have gotten to me too apparently uh, the juggle, the mighty juggalo lobby is apparently dividing this podcast what? get out of the bathroom Darren what are you doing <laughs> what like I don't doing get the reference makeup. okay well are people who dress like clowns right yeah sort of well, this is a very then... weird conversation for a Kurosawa podcast but they are people who dress like clowns and enjoy the music of insane clown posse so you've oh. heard the trailer uh, you haven't seen the Juggalos. <laughs> this is Orson Welles' Juggalo movie. movie yeah. Yeah. As it was henceforth be known. But anyway, we'll, we'll be back talking about that next week. But in the meantime, Chris, if people are looking to get a little bit more Chris in their life, where can they find you? Oh, dear. Um, well, Chris up you. your life, to quote the Spice yeah, Girls. Yeah. Uh, well, you can dial back the old uh, Seven Samurai podcast, revisit that if you haven't already, or find me on Twitter, Chris Lavery 6 Perfect. Andrew, where can we find you? I do I do find that, um, that it, it's it's a stark uh, reminder that there are people who haven't found you yet. Um, <laughs> and, and if we can do anything Thanks. with this to podcast... Help, please find do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean... Reach out. Um, <laughs> and touch Chris. Milk, milk cartons. Yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still on Twitter. Um, I, like, I like the uncertainty of that statement. When are we releasing this yeah. podcast? Um, <laughs> I haven't I haven't gone through my Twitter detox yet. Yeah, A Q U I N N I U Q A. Cool, and you can find me at Darren underscore Mooney. You can find the podcast at at the two fifty. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. Uh, if you like us, tell everybody. If you don't like us, tell us. Um, in the meantime, we'll be back next week. Then talking about a touch of evil. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Bye.